You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Well, good morning, Anthem Church. So I'm going to start off by telling you a little bit about myself because I hate it when new preachers come in and they're like, all right, open up your Bibles, you're all going to hell. You're like, all right, sounds good. Okay, so my name is Daniel Nemers. And I am the associate salt director, basically the assistant to the salt director, at Ankeny, at Keystone Church. So a little bit about myself. I was born and raised as a pastor's kid. Any other pastor's kids here? All right, we got a couple here. I'm always amazed that I can actually find somebody else. So I love you guys more than anybody else in this room. Okay, so I was born and raised in a Christian home, just like I said, as a dad, as a pastor, he... Every single day, and I'm, I don't really think I'm exaggerating, every single day he talked to me about the gospel. Every single day. <laughs> he talked to me about how Jesus Christ was born, and he was fully man and fully God at the same time, which I honestly do not fully understand, but somehow God makes it work. And he lived a perfect life here on earth. And because of that perfect life, he was able to be our sacrifice. Because of the sins that we'd done, he was able to be a perfect sacrifice and actually satisfy the wrath of God when he died on the cross for me and for you. And then not only that, he didn't stop there. He actually victoriously rose from the grave, conquering death, kicking death in the face and saying, no, 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 you're not more powerful than me. So I heard that every single day. But... When I was four years old, um, my mother, Nina, uh, passed away from a heart attack, and she left behind my dad and seven kids, and I was the second youngest. And so, a couple years later, that happened when I was four, so a couple years later, my dad remarried um, my stepmom, Marilyn, and she also had a first husband who passed away from a liver disease, and they had three kids. So, Brady Bunch deal. Combine them, 10 kids, I'm the second youngest, no matter how you spin it. So if you guys want to diagnose me psychologically, you're probably correct. Okay. <laughs> so like I said, I was born and raised just hearing the gospel every day. And I kind of assumed that since I was a pastor's kid, like, God will let me into the, into the pearly gates just because I'm a pastor's kid, right? I'm basically more holy than any kid that has ever been born because I'm a pastor's kid. It totally makes sense. Not. So... When I was 11 years old, I went to a Bible camp, went to that Bible camp, it's called Iowa Regular Baptist Camp, about as spicy of a name as you could possibly get, and I heard the gospel preached over and over and over again, and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, because they made it so abundantly clear to me that Jesus Christ died for me, and that I could actually come to the throne of grace and accept him into my heart and believe in him, and place my faith in him, and then go to heaven and be in the presence of Christ for the rest of eternity. I was like, sign me up. So then for the next couple of years, uh, in middle school, my nickname was Bible Boy Danny. Great nickname. Uh, because I just loved Jesus. I was at a public school, loved Jesus, and I talked to everybody about Jesus. So I was leading people to Christ all the time. It was funny to see what God could do through like a little squeaky voiced middle schooler. Um, but <clears throat> then I started dating a girl uh, in my freshman year. She didn't love Jesus. But I was in love, in like, let's be honest. Um, and then we started dating, and it was crazy how quickly I turned away from God, like, just like that. And what happened was I went from one month loving Jesus to the next month um, 
stealing hundreds of dollars of alcohol every single week from the local grocery store that I was at. That obviously led to me drinking it, and that obviously led to me being sort of a borderline alcoholic. And then that led to me uh, supplying parties with alcohol. People felt bad that I was giving it away for free, so they just gave me their drugs. So for five years straight, my life was just centered on finding pleasure in everything that the world had to offer. And that was getting drunk, going to parties, smoking weed, doing a bunch of other random drugs, having sex with women, you name it. That was just my life for five years. I like to call it my circle of insanity, of constantly trying to find pleasure. And what I mean by that is, here's your regular day, right? You start your day by trying to find this immense pleasure. You find it, you find it, you find it, then it lets you down, then you repeat. You find that pleasure, you smoke weed, it feels really, really good, Poof, repeat. You have sex, but it feels really, really good, Poof, repeat. It's constant, constant, constant circle of insanity. But then God led me to actually be broken up with by uh, another ex-girlfriend of mine. And she told me I was basically a drug addict loser going nowhere in life and my friends were idiots. Three reasons I'll never forget. Spot on, spot on, spot on. And I realized after I caved into a little bit of depression, I thought, she's totally right. Like, I'm trying to find pleasure in everything but Christ. And it's pathetic. It's pathetic to watch. So then I realized, what do Christians do? They read their Bibles, so I guess I'll start doing that. I don't know what this stinking book is, but I'm going to read it and see what happens. And God slowly started to just chip away sin in my life. It actually led me to love Jesus a million times more and actually find pleasure and satisfaction in him. That was an unbelievable amount of fulfillment that's still happening right now. And somehow, some way, you guys are all going to gasp, I got married. Yeah, yeah, a true success story. Um, go ahead and throw that picture on the screen. I can't really see. If, oh, there it is. So that is our baby announcement, Facebook-worthy, am I right? So that's my wife, very beautiful. That's my daughter, Annabelle. And we are having a boy. So she is pregnant right now. It's going to be due in February. Uh, it's like two days before or two days after our spring conference is when she's due. So she better keep that baby up in there because I want to go to that spring conference. <laughs> I told her that many times. Okay. So, and right now I, I actually just got done not too long ago with my degree in pastoral work. And I'm finishing up my master's right now. And now I'm a self-director. So that's where I'm at. That's who I am. So... Let's crank this message. Okay, so how many of you guys, when you're driving, are chronic ticket getters? Don't, don't lie to me right now. If you know you have a neighbor right next to you that's a chronic ticket getter, nudge them. Are you serious? You guys are all lying. All right, good to know I have a group of liars I'm preaching to. All right, we got one back there. Um, so I can kind of tend to be a little bit of a chronic ticket getter, specifically last year. Easily the worst ticket of my life. So you guys know those random places where you're driving on this highway and you feel like it's been under construction for at least four years. You know, you're just like, okay, just wrap it up. You start to get a little bit numb to it, you're right? You see all these neon orange construction signs. Ooh, they're still here. Who knew? So <laughs> last year I'm driving down this construction zone that's been there for about 80 years. And I'm driving, all of a sudden, I look behind me, whoop, whoop, cop. I'm like, darn it. I'm like, I wasn't even really going that fast, so it won't be that bad. So he pulls me over, and he goes, you know how fast you were going, young man? He young mans me. 
he wagging his head like that. I'm like, wow, I'm getting a ticket for sure. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, like 65. You always go under like an idiot. And uh, <laughs> I was really nervous. I don't know what happened. And he goes, he goes, oh, think you're going that fast? Actually, you realize it's 55. It's a construction zone. You were going 74. And I was like, no. God, no. And so I'm sitting here. I'm just I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm like stuttering because I'm like, uh, my life is over. Mind you, my wife's in the car next to me. So that kind of adds some weight. So as you husbands know. And so he walks back to his car, leaves me waiting for 20 minutes for my impending doom. And he walks over with his ticket, gives it to me. I want, I want to hear your guys' guesses on how expensive you thought it was. Let me hear you. 250. Oh, come on. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. $7,000. $785. And I grabbed the ticket, handed it to my wife, and just put it in drive and didn't look over at the dagger shooting at me. It was the worst. Almost a grand. I still am like upset about it. And it was like a year ago. So let's place ourselves in this scenario. <clears throat> What would happen if I tried to fake that it didn't happen? What if I tried to just sit back, despite my wife literally being present in that situation, and try to be like, oh, yeah, no, that didn't happen. Nope, nope, no, 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 no. I'm just going to push in the back of my mind. No, it didn't happen. She'd be like, dude, I was right there. I saw it happen. I read that it was $785. Now imagine if I try to talk my way out of it. Cop pulls me over. I'm like, no, 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 I won't do it again. I'm so sorry. Blah, 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 squeak like I'm middle school Bible boy Danny. And then he's like, all right, like, that's fine. I'll let it go. And then the next day I do it all over again. Same guy pulls me over. What do you think he's going to do? Like, okay, you talked your way out of it that time, but you clearly took no action to not do it again. So $800 ticket that time. Probably $1,000, let us be honest. Now... What would happen if I tried to fix the problem? What would happen if my wife wasn't actually in the car with me? I get that massive ticket, and I try to conceal that it never happened. I just never even tell her, and I just go to our combined bank account, and I'm just like, oh, she won't notice a quick $785 out of there. She won't even notice. It's worthless, right? She's obviously going to see almost a grand taken out of our bank account, especially when you're poor like me, Right? You're definitely going to see that. You can't fix that problem. You have to actually reveal what happened, right? You can't talk your way out of it. You can't fake that it didn't happen. You just have to repent. You have to own up to it. You can't walk in the darkness. It's ridiculous. But we do this all the time. We do this all the time in our lives, don't we? So many of us walk in darkness. We walk in darkness not actually showing who we truly are. Not showing what we've actually done, even though it's so abundantly obvious to everyone around us. We put on a facade in front of people, hoping that they like us. Hoping that we're accepted. And in order to do that, we have to be perfect in their eyes, right? We have to be fake. We have to be fake. We're obsessed with being fake. You're actually just not showing your real self. 
you're walking in darkness and you have no clue what lies waiting for you. You have no clue that cop behind the corner who's waiting for you to just give you your just punishment. In our text today, which is actually in 1 John 1, if you guys want to find it, it's near the end of the Bible. 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be see John, we're going to be seeing John talk about walking in darkness, <clears throat> excuse me, and walking in light. And guys, what I'm trying to get across here, what John's trying to get across here is walking in light is defined by confessing sin. And it's going to get really uncomfortable in here. I'm just going to warn you. But here's a brag that I want to throw out to Stan and Luke and everybody on Salt Staff there. With this message, when I preached it just yesterday morning, the Salt Company students, who are younger than all you guys here, heard this, took it in, self-reflected, and there was an unbelievable amount of change that it was tangible to grasp by that night. So I don't want all of us to sit up here, hear a very young man who definitely doesn't have life figured out, and sit down and say, eh, I'm not going to change. If people who are younger than you, more immature than you, probably love Jesus less than you, can hear the word of God, be faced with the reality of their situation, and change, I am begging you to do the exact same thing. I am begging you. So, let's dive in. 1 John chapter 1, <clears throat> starting in verse 5, but I want us, as I'm reading, look for the contrast that John pulls out to us. The contrast between walking in the darkness and walking in the light. Be looking for that. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him, from Christ, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, as in God, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, you guys saw it, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, walking in light, walking in darkness, walking in light, walking in darkness. Keeps going back and forth, back and forth. John's trying to make it abundantly clear to us that there are two paths that you can take in life. Walking in the light, walking in the darkness. Now, if I'm going to define walking in the light, really it could just be summed up this way. Walking in the light is you self-reflecting for half a second and you revealing your true self, who you really are. You're not trying to put on this facade. You understand that you are truly a sinner. You are truly depraved. You do wrong things. How many people here are sinners? Yeah, if you're not raising your hand, yeah, all of us are raising our hand. So right now, in that little short moment, you guys are all walking the light. All that is is you guys being real with yourself, being authentic. Therefore, you confess your sins and who you really are before God and before everyone around you, specifically in your connection group. Not so that you can confess your sin for confessing sin's sake. Not so that you can look more real in front of other people, but so that you can reflect Christ, who is light, 
That's what 1 John says. And walking in darkness is characterized by you just being straight up fake. You lie to yourself about how perfect you are. You continually put up this facade in order to save appearances and impress those around you, which is kind of hilarious because everyone knows that we all sin. You guys all just raise your hands. You guys all acknowledge that you do wrong things, right? <clears throat> yeah, we're all so obsessed with being fake. So obsessed with it. And I'm throwing myself in that boat as well. At least I used to be. Today, I want to draw out those two distinct lines. Walking in darkness, walking in light. And it all circles around how you confess your sin. It all circles around that. How you show who you really are or how you hide it and the effects of each path. So I'm going to start with the dark side. Walking in darkness. I have two overriding points. The first one is this. When you walk in darkness, you lie and deceive yourself and you only end up putting a huge burden onto yourself. When you walk in darkness, you lie and you deceive yourself, and you only end up putting this huge, massive weight and burden onto your back that carries you throughout life. Now look at verse 5. It says, This is a message we have heard from him, from Christ, and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Light reveals, right? There's darkness, in comes light. Like these lights right here, they're kind of making me sweat. They're really hot. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Light reveals, in light of Christ and his omniscience, his all-knowingness, and his omnipresence, he's everywhere. He knows everything that you guys have ever thought, everything that you guys have ever done. He sees everything that you do. No righteous deeds and no sin is ever hidden from him. Now, I want us, I want us to do a little practice here, okay? If you guys have a piece of paper or you guys have your phone on you, I want you to whip it out. I'm going to whip out your pen. So... I stole this little exercise from the book Gospel Fluency, so don't sit here thinking, man, that guy's a genius. No, I totally stole it. Totally stole it. Unashamed. All right. So go ahead and put that slide up. Yep, there it is. So I want you guys to write one vertical line going up and down like that with an arrow on each end. And on the top part, with an arrow pointing up, I want you to write confess. Then on the bottom arrow, I want you to write conceal. This is talking about how you talk about your sin, okay? Now, I want you to write, or draw a horizontal line like you see right now. And I want you to put arrows on each end. And on the left side, I want you to write apathy. On the right side, I want you to write action. This is how you actually act upon your sin and fighting against it. You're, you're either apathetic or you take action against it. How you confess your sin. You either confess it fully, or you conceal it. You hide it. You pretend. You fake. <clears throat> now, every single attribute and label I'm going to give each person is describing how they act when it comes to the topic of confessing sin. What I want you guys to understand is that you are in one of these quadrants right now. You're not excused I'm not going to allow you to just sit back and be like, nope, not me. No, this is you. You are in one of these quadrants. As I talk about it, feel convicted or rejoice if you're in the top right, but we won't get there yet. <laughs> so, top left corner. I want you to write this. The top left corner is a talker. 
This is found in verse 6. Look at verse 6. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. A talker describes someone who is all too eager to confess their sin. They're all too eager to draw attention to themselves by displaying their flaws, being authentic, but they aren't actually doing anything about it. They're completely apathetic to what they're doing. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, but there's no practice of action toward defeating your sin, you're just giving lip service. This is all you're doing. You're just giving lip service. You're a talker. This person is full-on lying to themselves. They're pretending to be holy. They're pretending to have this deep, deep, deeply rooted relationship with Jesus Christ. But all it is is talking. Not actually taking action towards defeating your sin and looking like Christ. Is that you? Are you a talker? Take a second. Think about how you sin and how you confess it. Are you a talker? Do you take no action? Verse 6 and verse 8 are pretty similar. At the bottom left corner, I want you to write faker. Faker. The bottom left corner is actually characterized in verse 8. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You guys seen that? Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, so they're concealing it, they're not even admitting it, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. I legitimately don't think this person, if your life is fully characterized as a faker, then I legitimately don't think this person is a Christian. Because not only are you not acknowledging your sin that is so clearly obvious to everyone else, no offense, actually offense, and then you're doing absolutely nothing about it, if your life has been characterized by that, you are a total, full-fledged faker. Now, if you keep faking and pretending that you don't sin, you're just lying to yourself. Doesn't it always drive you crazy whenever you're around somebody and you see something that's so clearly obvious to you and they don't see it, like this massive whitehead zit that's like protruding like a foot off their face? Nah. Like, what? No. The face looks great. No, it doesn't. Pop that thing. <laughs> now, <laughs> that was weird. I wasn't planning on saying that. Um, <clears throat> Now imagine, for those of you who are experienced parents, imagine you go up to, this is very real to me, so just, never mind, I'll just keep saying it. So imagine you go up to a new mom, right? A brand spanking new mom, right? She's got tattered hair. Her hair started off nice. Now it's in a saggy side bun somehow. She doesn't know how it happened. You look at her, and her eyes are red and basically caved in from lack of sleep, She's got like puke running down her shoulder and she doesn't even know it. And then her husband, who's just not built to be a mom, is literally passed out face first on the side of the couch, just dying. And they look at you and she's just petting baby. You know, I've, I've, eyes twitching. I've got parenting figured out. No, you do not, clearly. It's right in front of me. Look at your face, no offense, but just look in the mirror. You do not have this parenting thing figured out. Or for any of you guys who are married, say you're talking to this couple who just got married, just got off the ship from Cancun, Mexico, 
And for some reason in this scenario, you are confiding in their abundant wisdom in marriage. Don't know why you're doing that. Just imagine you are. And you're just talking about like, man, I just had this bad communication with my spouse. Like, uh, you're more so just venting, not really asking for advice, you know. And they just grab you by the shoulder and they say, hey, listen, I understand the ins and outs of marriage more than you could ever abundantly know. Let me tell you what I know. You would just go, like, what are you talking about? You just got off your honeymoon. You don't actually understand the realness, the actual realistic life of marriage. You know nothing. I can look at the timeline of your wisdom and say, mm, nothing there. You pretty much just know how to love each other. It's so clearly obvious to everyone else, right? But this person just does not get it. You just laugh. Now imagine me coming up to you guys saying, hey, I mean, look at me. Consult director. I'm a whole 26 years old. I'm a pretty good dude. I haven't murdered anybody. So you could basically put me on the pedestal of perfection. Come on, give it to me. No sin here. Half of you would just look at me like I was like mentally deranged. You'd be like, no, what is wrong with you? It's so abundantly clear to me. You guys can't see it, but I am, have a bunch of tattoos. You'd be like, no, this guy's clearly got a weird tattered past. Obviously. That's a joke. Okay, just kidding, just kidding. But it's so abundantly obvious to everyone in the world that you sin. That's what I'm trying to draw out. All those things that are just like that huge zit on your face, you got to know. It's clear to every single person in the world that you sin. You take two seconds to self-reflect. You know that you sin. So why do you hide it? Why do you hide it? Why do you fake? John also writes in the book of John, chapter 319, Jesus is talking. Jesus says, the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Jesus knew that even when he, the light, was showing them their sin by his perfect life, they would still rather be drawn to the temptation of darkness because it was easier to hide that way. Are you a faker? I know that there are many fakers in here right now. Do you conceal your sin and just pretend that it doesn't happen? Are you apathetic towards defeating your sin? Because you've actually never understood the grace of God that freedom from sin actually gives you. The bottom right corner, I'm very drawn to this. I'm very passionate about this bottom right corner because this used to be me. This is a fixer. Write down fixer. <clears throat> this is my natural sin tendency. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this, if we say we have not sinned, we make him, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. If we say we haven't sinned, but on the inside, we know. We're actually calling God a liar, and we're missing out on his fellowship and others around us who can actually keep us accountable to reflect Christ. Notice how it says we make him a liar, we make God a liar. You guys know the classic Romans 3, 10 through 19 passage where it says, no one is righteous, no, not one. If God is claiming that every single person that has ever been born has no righteousness and has sinned, 
100%. If we say we haven't sinned, actually we're claiming that God was lying when he said that, which is insanity. Who's the perfect one in this scenario? You guys can give me the Sunday school answer. Who's the perfect one in this scenario? Jesus, God, yes, thank you. Clearly we're calling God a liar. And if you claim that you're the lone perfect ranger out there that somehow slipped behind God's all-seeing eye, like you're insane. You're absolutely insane. My sin tendency is this way because it's, it's actually very easy for me to see my flaws. It's very easy for me to see my flaws. And maybe you guys are this way too. You read a verse, you let it set in, you self-reflect, wow, I stink at that, definitely need to change it, I'm going to memorize a ton of verses, I'm going to totally, I'm going to totally defeat this sin, but I'm not going to tell anybody about it. No way. Can't do that. That's your pride. You're so ashamed to reveal who you truly are, even though it's abundantly obvious to everyone else. This is my sin tendency. The issue here isn't in the effort and the action. The issue is in the concealing from other believers and from God, but from those believers who can actually help you conquer that sin. If you keep trying to fix it and not actually reveal it, you're never going to conquer it. You're going to have momentary blips of actually defeating it in times where you're super spiritual that day, but you're never going to actually conquer it. I hope you understand that reality. Now, I just said, when you walk in darkness, you lie and deceive yourself, but here's the last part. You also only end up putting a huge burden onto yourself. I know I want us to keep our fingers in 1 John, but I actually want us to flip to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm chapter 32. And if you don't flip there, I'm just going to read it. So, David is writing, he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now listen to this. For when I kept silent, when I was being a faker and pretending I had no sin, when I was being a fixer and trying my hardest to do it on my own without anyone else knowing, when I kept silent, listen to this, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, God, your hand was heavy upon me. Is this you? My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. But listen to this hard transition. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover, I did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Have you guys ever felt like when you're in just this season of struggle, like this season where you just, you just keep trying to fight sin, but you just lose, 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 lose? During that season, you know what David's talking about when God's hand is just heavy on you. When that burden is just weighing you down, sucking the life joy out of you. This is very, very, very personal to me because, <clears throat> so 
you saw the picture of my wife up there. Uh, her dad, I got his permission to tell you guys this. Her dad, his name's Kevin. So when he was in early high school, he was exposed to pornography for the first time. And he started this intense road of addiction. But he was born in a very, very conservative family that always kept up their appearances so that the neighbors and everybody in the church couldn't actually know who they really were, even though they were super messed up. So he was trained in his family to just conceal, just conceal, just conceal. He started off as a fixer. He knew what he was doing was wrong. He kept trying to fix it, he kept trying to fix it, he kept memorizing these verses. I'm not going to tell anybody because I don't want anybody to know, but I'm going to keep continuing to fix it, going to continue to fix it. And it never got fixed. He gets married to Kathleen, my mother-in-law. Gets married to Kathleen and doesn't tell her anything. He does the classic, ah, I know other guys and other gals will struggle with that, but like, not me, not me, not me. So what actually ends up happening is this sin just continues to just burden him, burden him, burden him. About 15 years into their marriage, it hit a new level. And he cheated on her. Committed adultery. I know he committed adultery with multiple women. I don't know how many. But I just know he did it a lot. But wow, he was good at faking it. He was so good at concealing it. Because guys, notice, most of you guys are probably pretty good at faking it. You're pretty good at concealing it. Most people here don't know who you are. That's a problem. So 29 years into their marriage, <clears throat> two memorial days ago, we go over to their house and with tears in his eyes and Kathleen holding his hand, he tells Kayla and I what he did. He told Kathleen a month earlier. And what actually happened was a glorious sight. Most of you guys are thinking they got divorced for sure. Nope. What actually happened was he started off as a fixer. Then he moved to a faker. Because many of you guys are in the same boat. You get callous to your sin. And you actually don't start taking action against it at all. But what happened was he actually realized he wasn't a believer <laughs> the whole time despite growing up in the church, was never actually taught what the gravity of his sin was. And he actually moved to the top right corner, which is a repenter. He saw who he was, especially in comparison to the perfection of Christ, realized his sin, placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And guess what he did? He has, been, he has been finding so much victory in his sin because he is abundantly obvious about who he is. He told his entire testimony to the church not that long ago because he wanted them to know this is who I was and this is who I am now in Christ. My second point is walking in the light. This has been a heavy message so far. I realize what I'm doing. But my second point is walking in the light provides fellowship, it cleanses, and it gives forgiveness. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, guys. Walking the light provides fellowship, it cleanses, and it gives forgiveness. 
The top right corner, if you haven't already written it yet, it's repenter. This is found in verse 7 and 9. Look at your Bibles. John says, but if we walk in the light as he, as Christ is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now look at verse nine. If we confess our sins, he, Christ, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This just simply describes a person who is just honest about who they are. They acknowledge that they're sinners, that they are a sinner. They acknowledge to God, but then they also acknowledge it to their friend group, their connection group. But you know what's actually astonishing to me? Most people don't know that through confessing your sin, it actually provides a weird amount of fellowship with those around you. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. It just said it. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So my sophomore year, I went to Salt Company in Ames, Iowa. And I was in a connection group. And my leader understood confession way before I did. <clears throat> he was way more mature than I was in confession. And he really, really struggled with sexual purity. So what he actually did at the beginning of every single connection group, it was a little awkward, I'm not going to lie to you. At the beginning of every single connection group, he would start off saying, guys, I'm not going to lie to you, I messed up this week. And he would tell us what he did. Every single week. And all of us were like, all right. <laughs> at first, it was super weird. I'm going to just straight up acknowledge that. It's weird at first. It totally is. But you know what actually ended up happening? After we finally started to take off our masks and realize that none of us are perfect, we all started to confess. We all started to reveal who we truly were. We stopped concealing it, and we actually revealed it. We confessed it. And because we were confessing it, we realized now we have accountability from other people that we can't be apathetic towards it. They're going to keep us accountable to where we actually take action towards it. It was this amazing thing that happened. It was unbelievable. And we weren't just confessing for confessing's sake. We weren't just talking. We were taking action against the sin so that we could reflect Christ and defeat our sin. What was awesome to see was the beautiful freedom that we had. We knew we were dirty, horrible sinners, especially in view of Christ's perfection. But wow, there's victory in sin. At the end of college, actually, we met up again, that same connection group leader and I, and we were just talking about the good old days and that awkward connection group the first month. <laughs> and what, he said something that just was mind-blowing to me. I need you guys to pay attention to this. He said something that just blew my mind. He said, Daniel, if I hadn't had my sophomore year of struggling with sexual purity, if I wouldn't have had my sophomore year of intense confession of sin, I wouldn't have had my junior year of amazing victory. It blew my mind. Because I could tangibly grasp onto God's sanctifying work in him. I could tangibly grasp that God had been working in his life through confession by just looking at the sophomore year, looking at the junior year. He was still confessing sin, but it wasn't as much that. 
because he was finding victory in it. He was just working on other areas this junior year. It was amazing, unbelievably amazing to me. Walking in the light, confessing your sin provides amazing fellowship. And walking in the light, confessing your sin provides fellowship, but it also cleanses you and it forgives. God forgives you. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guys, God continues to cleanse those whom he has forgiven. This isn't a one-time, done deal. No. God continues to cleanse you. He continues to chip away at that sin through confession so that you look more like Christ. But look at verse 7. Look at the end. It says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't it amazing to see how Christ is the only one who can actually be faithful and just? This whole time as talkers, fakers, and fixers, we try to look perfect. We try to put on that facade. We try to put on that mask of perfection. But in the end, it's Christ. He's the only one who is truly perfect. It's Christ who, because he was perfect, he was actually able to be our sacrifice for our sins on that cross. God the Father would only accept a perfect sacrifice. He couldn't accept us. We're tainted. We know that. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Amen. After we confess our sins, we see our sin in light of Christ's perfection, and we stand in awe and humility of who he is. John Piper says, the reason Christ came was not merely to cover sin, but to conquer sin. He came not only to justify, but also to sanctify. Not only to acquit, but also to reform. And if he shed his blood in order to accomplish his purpose, then his blood cleanses, not only in that it covers, but also in that it conquers sin. The ongoing effect of Christ's blood is to cleanse our hearts in such a way that we cannot be content to go on sinning. Guys, my main takeaway from this is not that I'm blowing your mind by telling you guys that you guys are sinners. (laughs) I'm probably not going to see the effect, really, because I'm not going to be around for this message. But what I want you guys to do is just be real. Be authentic. Stop being a talker. Talking about your sin, doing nothing about it. Stop being a faker. Not talking about your sin, not doing anything about it. Stop being a fixer. You can't fix it. Stop concealing your sin, acting like it doesn't happen, and then trying your hardest to earn your perfection. Christ is your perfection. My main goal with this is I want every single one of you in your connection groups this week to look at this chart, look at all these quads and place yourself in one of them. Are you a talker? Are you a faker? Are you a fixer? How do you actually move yourself into being a repenter in order to look like Christ? And if you're a repenter, keep going. (laughs) Because you're only gonna see Christ's beauty for what it actually is. So unbelievably beautiful in view of the cross. For those of you who don't know Christ, this is all probably so confusing to you. I want to keep putting on that mask. Realize everyone knows who you are. You're a sinner, so desperately in need of grace. 
If you're here and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm telling you that you have no purpose. Your purpose in life is actually just to look your best and then die. Whoopee. What Christians have is purpose to actually find the glory of Christ in their daily lives, see him as beautiful, actually tell people about Christ and the forgiveness of their sins, the grace that they have, the peace that they have, the hope that they have for eternity. Do you want that? Are you a faker? I am pleading with you to come to know Christ. That hope, that righteousness is right there for the taking. Place your faith in Jesus. Let's pray. God, <clears throat> that was kind of a, was a heavier message, but I, I think it needed to be said because what was amazing for me to see this week was me say this to Salt Company students, and they didn't just sit back and let it just go in one ear and out the other. They acknowledged who they were before you, and that burden that they had been feeling for a long time, slowly, and some people rapidly, just fell off their back. And they felt an unbelievable amount of freedom in that sin. It was amazing to see. God, I pray the exact same thing for these people here. I pray that these people, even though that they're well-established in their adult lives, and they, if they were to confess their sin, what would their neighbors think of them? God, I pray that you would just let those doubts go away. Don't let them start a repeated, repeated lifestyle of misery that is waiting for them if they don't just reveal it. God, I pray that they would all move to repenters. In your name I pray, amen.